0: Hello, I'm the hilarious, beautiful comedian, Kat Alvarado, and you're listening to the Cut to the Chase
1: podcast. Stepping out beyond boundaries takes courage and the ability to dream. We are excited to share our new audio podcast called Cut to the Chase. The structure of this podcast embodies open dialogue with friends, family, and professional colleagues, talking about things that impact our ability to thrive. We hope that you will join our unscripted, unbridled podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cut to the Chase, episode 103. Yes, that's right, people. Episode 103. We are transcending past episode 100, and Cut to the Chase is setting its mark out there in history. And so today, man, you know, it gives me like such a warm piece of joy to introduce who we're going to have on our program today. I mean, she is... I'm going to I'm going to hold. I'm going to hold just for a second. I'm going to hold before before I give you guys the big drum roll. But anyway, today we're going to be talking about episode 103 and the title of the episode is Stand Up for the Girls Club. I'm going to say that one more time. Stand Up for the Girls Club. Now everybody's probably going, "Greg, my god, gosh darn it. You've put in Another wild and crazy title. But let me help you set the stage to my listeners for why we're going to talk about Stand Up for the Girls Club. Women comics comedians are still fighting the unfunny fight for respect, equality, equal opportunity, and equal pay. And in some cases, they have to fend off harassment. That limits their choices and also demeans their ability of protection. This is a matter because women are people. It matters because comedy is important. There is a solution that more people than ever are getting behind that we need women in comedy. Now we know comedy is no catwalk for anyone. I personally have not done stand-up comedy, but I've known stand-up comics that have done comedy for years. And of course, you know, they work very hard. They travel. They get their craft out there. And they're always on the edge of geopolitical, social commentary, news, you name it. But for every female comedian that has had a broker tell them no. For every comedian that has lined up on the MC, the stage today will be set for us as people to stand up for the girls club. And so I know that was pretty deep for a lot of people to kind of digest all of that. And so I'm going to go into a little quote here. And that quote basically says, never allow anyone to break your soul. You have to stand up on your own two feet. Stand up for yourself. Those are things that would give anything you see as failure. But you must never give up on them until you're completely satisfied. Hold your head up high. Smile and show the world that you're a strong woman who can stand her own ground. Now, if you haven't realized where I'm going with this conversation today, our featured guest is a funny, passionate, insightful stand-up comedian and activist, Her comedy covers relatable topics such as parenting, dating, but she also dives into Latin American geopolitics, including current crisis in Nicaragua. She's a Nicaraguan American that grew up on the outskirts of Atlanta in San Fernando Valley. She's been involved in the performing arts for many, many years. She's devoted her teens to musical theater, speech, debate, opera, vocals, and performance but went in a completely different direction in college by earning a BA in economics and a MA in economics from the University of California. She has got over 2 million views on YouTube from the popular YouTube channel, The Real Rejects, which features Buzz Feature Taste channel. She was also featured on PBS show First National Comet Experience. She's a host. She's a comet or a comedian. She also has a podcast, which is Villains of History. She also performs in some of the top comedy festivals in the country today, including Laughing Skull and Big Pine. And without further ado, maybe I screwed up the intro, but... Miss Kat Alvarado, do you have any opening remarks?
0: Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, wow, I, that is a very dramatic introduction. I appreciate it. Um, I think my main introductory remark is that I am not from Atlanta, I am from Los Angeles. <laughs> I like thank to you. The people listening who are like, the San Fernando Valley of Atlanta, I haven't heard of that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Where's that part of Atlanta? <laughs>
1: Thanks for correcting me on that one. <laughs> I think good. I was in my mojo there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all good, all good, yeah. Um, no, excited to be here. Um, you touched on a lot of very deep and real subjects that um, that are, are struggles that many female comedians have. And, and women in really all professions can can encounter um just that it's even though it's 2021 we still have a lot of these challenges in the workplace regardless of industry or position um it, it, and we're still fighting the good fight you know you would you would think that these days it would all be you know a cakewalk uh, and yet it's not right <laughs> it's
1: not. right <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you've hit on, you know, uh, several points that we'll dive into here in our discussion. But uh, thank you very much for for your willingness to participate on Cut to the Chase. We're delighted to have you on the show. And with our first question, you know, what drove you to become a comedian?
0: So I've always had a big passion for performing arts. I've been a performer since I was eight years old and I would always get, uh Oh, am I still here?
2: Yep. Yep. You're still (laughs) there.
0: My computer, uh, just uh, my screen went down. Um, I've always had a passion for the performing arts. I've been performing since I was eight years old and uh, (laughs) I would always get cast as a funny character, no matter what, like I could never get the lead role. I'd always be a silly, you know, side character and then steal the show because I don't know how or why, but, you know, (laughs) I don't know if you've seen the movie Soul, but uh, I guess when I was in the before time and and God was making my soul, He was like, I'm going to make her funny. Mm -hmm. And so I would do things not even intending to be funny and people would still laugh. I didn't even want to be funny and people would still laugh. So, um, so after you after college when I got my my MA um I just really missed performing arts and I said you know what even though I always wanted to be the main character I wanted to play the princess the Ariel or the bell, uh I've always been funny so let's just lean into that and I'm gonna try doing stand-up comedy and I tried it and like I said it's like God has given me a little gift and the first time I went on I was funny and I was hooked and I said, I got to keep on doing this. Um, so it, sometimes it's as simple as knowing you have a gift and deciding to pursue that gift. Um, and that's why I'm doing stand up. And it feels really good to have something I'm good at and to do that thing. Um, it's just I I feel really blessed. Not to sound arrogant.
2: <laughs> right.
0: Sound arrogant or anything. Um I, I let me let me add a dose of humility. There are many comedians who are much funnier than me. I know where I stand, but um okay. I think people can agree that I am funny. <laughs>
1: Right, right. Well, certainly, you know, one of the uh, overall attractions for us was, you know, the different aspects of the skits that we've seen you run, uh, not only on your YouTube uh, page, but also particularly on IG, you know, those funny 30 second, 40 second uh, little skits that you do to kind of bring forth the uh, the, the relevance and, you know, making people think, you know, of of some of the, just the craziest things that you see out there in society. And then you see that, you know, people are making decisions on and you make it so humorous that, you know, it's almost uh, very much, you know, um, kind of a relief. It's almost like therapy, you know, watching watching you portray different aspects of different characters. And so what goes through your mind when you are, you know, digesting something that you believe you can put a spin on and allow for that to come across as something so relatable? How do you do that?
0: Thank you. That's a great question. Um, I think in doing comedy, there are sort of two directions that people can go. They can go for happy, easy, easy jokes or they can go for more thoughtful material. And mm-hmm. it's very, very difficult to do the thoughtful and it takes a lot of practice and diligence and bravery um, because to just go out there and, and stand on a soapbox and share ideas and opinions is not funny and people don't like being lectured to. So it's taking a lot of practice to um, dive into my own opinions, figure out, okay, what do I think about a topic and Mm -hmm. then go to my practice audiences at the open mics here in Los Angeles and just put it out there and, see if it sticks. <laughs> sure. And, and essentially what it takes you to, to create content like that is having conviction, having strong opinions, and also being able to be vulnerable enough to share those opinions and having the creativity to do so in, um, mm. in fun and novel ways. And I think it's a muscle I've been really working on honing um, uh, for, for several years, I've been doing up for seven years and really trying to go deeper in my comedy the past four years. And mm-hmm. the journey's been, so I went up and up and up those first three years when I was doing stuff that was very lighthearted and stupid. And then when I started really committing to writing deeper jokes, um, it kind of went south, like for a while, for a year or two, I was like subpar funny,
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: I was like, I'm not going to do happy material. I am not going to do easy, obvious stuff. And Mm I have people say, Kat, stop. Stop trying to be smart. Stop Mm -hmm. trying to do that because it's not as funny. Go back to your old stuff.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: No, I'm going to crack this nut. I'm Mm going to figure out how to do stuff. Because you see so many comedians who do, you know, um, oh gosh, who all the political comedians, Trevor Noah, uh, C. Lewis Black. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they figured it out why can't i figure it out um, yeah then eventually i did and boy was it a journey because there were times where i really didn't want to give up and just go back to doing you know <laughs> dick jokes
2: <laughs> sure sure
0: <laughs> um but i think it's something where in the past year or so i finally broke through um and and the key to it is just said knowing how i feel and not not
2: saying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know well, that's
1: so, Yeah, well, well, certainly. I mean, you know, it it always comes across with the with the conviction, and it's very interesting that you happen to mention that. You know, you were you were kind of segued into you know a a genre of comedy that that basically was kind of more happy happily related, and then you know, as you tried to pivot. Into something that became more relevant, more you know, and in, in tied into cultural and society, and really what makes people's blood boil, you know, that that transition was difficult for you. I think that's kind of a natural, kind of attenuation that happens with with all you know as you're going through that pivotal point in your life because people represent you as who you are in the character and in a moment and in a space and your persona and personality as what you were back then. But that wasn't quite fulfilling to you. And I can respect you for that because, you know, someone like, you know, the Trevor Noah's or, you know, some of the some of the other great comedians that are on the cusp of really kind of bringing in that geopolitical, bringing in, you know, those current events, bringing in those things that that really people see as mainstream, and they're and they're and they're gravitating their audience towards, you know, hey, let's wake up here, people. Let's let's not let's not smell the rose and the tea leaves because it, it may not smell quite that good in two days time. And so, you know, all those things to me are really cutting edge they're cutting edge comedy that represents the depth of who you are and your character and your persona for Not only how witty you can be, but how you can view things through a different lens and transcend that as an influencer that allows for your comedy to bring forth the funny. And, I'm, and, and maybe I've said a lot there, but, you know, for me, you know, the points that really stood out now, I'm, I'm happily married and I, I love my gorgeous wife. But I'll tell you the points that stood out to me when when my team started doing research was like when you started talking about, you know, the, the character that you play is when you play your 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 mom or you play a mom. And then the other characters, when you talk about dating, when you run, you know, basically your stories and you're talking about dating. And it's just so funny because of the simple fallacy of, you know, I'm 50 years old and I go back and I look in time and you just say, oh, wow, these are some of the some of the questions that, you know, kind of run through your brain, you know, it's like the, you know, that uh, that that kind of really slaps you in the face It's kind of I won't say a slap face comedy, but it's definitely. Uh, awareness type comedy that I enjoy about listening to some of the things that you've done and uh, that that to me is very enjoyable
0: Thank you, I mean it's all about speaking truth uh, mm-hmm. one of my mentors that was the first thing he told me about comedy, said, comedy is just telling people the truth if right. it's not true it won't be funny and, right. and that's what I try to do in everything that I write when I write about you know, for example, my first marriage—I got married at nineteen, divorced at twenty-one. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, and, and the material about that is some of my earliest material, and um, and still to this day, some of my funniest and, and people's favorite. You know, and I talk about you know when we fall in love—is it really love or is it just biological? You know, am I just mm-hmm. a, am I just having a sugar high? Am I actually in love with this person? And, mm-hmm. and why are we together? Do we just like watching Netflix together? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I put those thoughts into the comedy. I think it really resonates with people because a lot of people have that experience. I mean, um, just the experience of marriage itself is so weird. (laughs) Yeah. You have the high at the beginning of falling in love and then you're together and then it goes into this safe space that feels like bread dough. Um, and, and then, and then what, and then what happens? Um, Yeah. For me, I started to question, like, "Oh my God, was I too hasty in this? Uh, right. Was I right. just overexcited and like youthful exuberance to to run off and get married?" And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I can talk about my experiences, but I think that joke itself makes people question because I know I'm not the only person who maybe did that, or you fall in love and you rush to commitment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, many people have, and it's just in speaking my truth that it holds up a mirror and it resonates with
1: other people's truth. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I, that, that's, like I said, that's why I resonate with some of the, some of the comedy that you have surrounded and embodied around, you know, that early stage dating, because I also was married at a young age and then pretty much divorced within about a year's time, um, during my last, uh, few years of, uh, serving in the Navy. And, uh, it was an eye-opening experience. It was uh, it was a part of something that, you know, maybe there was just a, a lust of fondness that you know you you would have is if you fall in love with a puppy, you know, (laughs) and, and, uh, and, you know, like you said, when that starts to wear off and, and the real conviction of, you know, the day to day and the in and out of what it really takes to hold a marriage together like glue, uh, you begin to see the cracks in the armor. And, uh, for me, it was, uh, it was very traumatic, you know, for, for my situation, um, because I was always out to sea and doing tours, uh, overseas. So it was, it was a lot of strain and stress from the, from the onset of starting. And, uh, you know, I was faced with the fact of coming back after a tour and not being able to go to my own home because a friend of mine basically said, Hey, Greg, you know, uh, I can't let you go home right now. You need to come to my house. And it stood up the hair on the back of my neck. And I said to myself, what the hell is going on? Because at the time, my wife wasn't there to meet me. And my neighbor was there to meet me. So I go to my neighbor's house. And he tells me, he says, sit down. You need to have a beer before I share with you what the hell is going on. And I was like... If this is that bad, I need to go to my house and see for myself. He said, nope, can't let you do that because you're going to go off like World War III and sure as shit. He said to me, he says, your wife's having an affair. Yes. The guy's living in your house. The guy's driving your car. The guy's probably wearing your freaking clothes. And, no. and, and, uh, Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It, that was that was enough to set off the nuclear explosion in my brain, and it was all bets were off at that point. And uh, yeah, it was it was it was difficult difficult time. So, like I said, very early on in my life, don't wish that upon anybody. But uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was tough tough situation, you know, to uh, to have to endure that, and then all of the fallout, of course, you know, going through divorce, you've gone through it. It's not that easy. Yeah.
0: I can can only imagine how much emotional baggage you had, how much trauma you had after that. Like, Oh, how long did it take for you to trust anyone again? That, that, that sounds awful.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, like I said, it was, uh, it was gut wrenching for sure. You know, it was, it was the hard punch, uh, below the, the, the belly and, uh, you know, years of, uh, regrouping, picking up and, and just really trying to, uh, charter a new path in a way that, uh, you know, like you said, trust could be regained, integrity could be regained strength, emotional strength could be regained. And, and of course you're so young, you know, you're 21, 22. I mean, people say you've, you know, you've experienced a little bit of life at that age. You're still tasting life <laughs> in, in I, my mind. I you I
0: love when you're that young. It's like, do you have kids? Yes. Okay. Um, this is a story my mom told me about when I was little, right? The first time I had barbecue chicken. Mm-hmm. I liked it so much, but it was my first time eating chicken. Right, mm-hmm. I liked that so much. I licked that bone. I, I took off every little fiber of meat from that chicken bone and my Mm -hmm. mom tried to take away the chicken bone and give me a new chicken bone and I screamed so hard (laughs) right and that's first love right I didn't know about any other foods (laughs) right I didn't know about any other types of chicken I didn't know I didn't know anything
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, I didn't know about ribs you know, I like barbecue ribs better than barbecue chicken. I'll play that much. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: But I was obsessed because I was a child. I was a toddler and I had never experienced anything else in life. I didn't know myself. And I think it was that same experience when I first, you know, fell in love and and got married. I, I just learned what it was like to click with somebody and, and like somebody. And then I thought that that strong click was love but actually mm-hmm. that was just what it was like to meet someone who's pretty cool <laughs>
2: right
0: uh, and now that i'm in a, a like further along you know, years later um and I'm, I'm in the world of dating i'm finding i wow well, i like a lot of people i think a lot of people are wonderful i click with so many men mm-hmm. um, who i who i meet right and mm-hmm. clicking. thing just being able to talk a lot and having a nice time doesn't make them the one that I need to marry. Right. It means they can be my friend, you know. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean love. It doesn't mean marriage. It's taken years to learn that. Um, and I especially noticed that in the comedy scene. Uh, I love male comedians. Mm-hmm. They are so fun. And there is such a camaraderie. It's like, you know, soldiers in a foxhole, I wanna say, sure. uh, where it's really easy to think I'm falling in love with a fellow comic. until so I realize I'm in love with about 10 of my fellow comics. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's what friendship feels like.
2: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, oh, right.
0: I really, strongly, deeply care about these people. They're my friends. That doesn't mean that I should, you know, pursue a relationship with any of them. Um, It just means I have a friendship. Yeah. So love can be really confusing. It it takes a lot of time and wisdom to really learn what is it? What is the real feeling? What's the right feeling that leads to marriage Mm -hmm. Uh, and a long lasting marriage and Boy, it's, it's something I feel like I'm always learning about. I'm, you know, I'm learning from my mom and her second marriage. I'm learning from my father and his second marriage. And then mm-hmm. relationships with everyone around me. And then on top of that, my dating foibles. I'm very picky. So I've been largely single for the better part of 7 to 10 years.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
0: And it's because I've got high standards. But the reason I have those high standards is that I got married that one time. And I learned. I learned real quick. Wow. Okay, this isn't a decision to be taken lightly. Marriage is supposed to be forever. Um, Mm -hmm. Although my therapist says, you know what? That's too much pressure. You can get divorced again. (laughs) Give someone a chance. I'm like, "Eh." yeah, yeah. Um, But I want to make sure that the next time I make that choice is the right choice. So I have a, a major filter on there. But um, it's it's observing that stuff and really reflecting on it. And that's where I draw my comedy. Um, a mentor of mine once said to just journal, and so that's what I'll do. I'll just journal, just for half an hour. Just write, put pen to paper, and keep going and mm-hmm. explore my feelings. And uh, that's where I find that depth, that inner wisdom in myself, which is actually the inner wisdom of other people. Uh, mm-hmm. I had I had this moment. I'll always remember. It, it was about ten years ago. And I had this internship, and I was thinking about starting a blog. This was before comedy. Mm-hmm. And my boss said, why would anyone want to read something that you write?
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, kind of mean. And I had to think about that answer, and I started reading other people's blogs, and then it hit me. People want to read what I write because we all have a book inside of us. That's yes. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's worth reading is because we want to connect to other people. We want to read someone who has had our experiences, mm-hmm. because it makes us feel less alone. And Correct. so, in that sense, everybody would want to read the blog that I write
2: mm-hmm.
0: because my life is not special. That's the whole thing. I'm mm-hmm. not a special person. I'm just like you. Mm-hmm. It's not magic.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not there. So all I had to do in standup is talk about my life. And I can't tell you how many people go, Oh, I had a first marriage too. I've been in an emotionally abusive relationship too. Oh, I've had a bad date too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So there is like this almost like a Zen like humility that is the key to success in comedy and probably in a lot of other things. And just understanding that, um, I'm not special. We're not special, but there is huge beauty in that. Um, we're actually
1: all connected. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, uh, certainly agree with you 110% there. Um, you know, there is a lot of, a lot of synergy in what you stated, you know, that kind of transcends into other ecosystems or other, you know, uh, lines of work, you know, with regards to just being authentic, you know, just being, you know, true to yourself and being true to your craft and, uh, sometimes when you do that it just opens up you know uh, a door or multiple doors that allow for you to find the right community the right audience of people that will always gravitate and stand behind who you are as a individual or as an artist or as a comedian and continue to to kind of you know place that emphasis on watching you thrive and, and flourish because that's what we all need. You know, we need that sense of, uh, togetherness and, and unity. And, uh, once we figure out how to really open up the key to that across all spectrums of life, um, I think we'll be in a much better place in our society.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Kat, um, this has been an awesome, awesome conversation. I know we've gone off on a little bit of a tangent, but, uh, <laughs> you know, when we start talking about, uh, comedy and it's not kind of a Kate walk, you know, can you give us some insight as to, you know, what does it really take, you know, for a female comedian to kind of make it out there in the world of comedy? Because like, like we've all talked about in the past and there's all kinds of articles out there that, you know, it's really the boys club, you know, it it may not be that way now it's slowly evolving and changing, but in the past it's always been the boys club. So what does it take to, to really kind of move up the ranks in comedy as a woman?
0: A few things. So I'm going to talk about three things, relationship management, having a thick skin and being a boss ass bitch. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll start we'll start from the last one, being a boss bitch. Okay. That means being really, really good at what you do as women, and this is true in and out of comedy, we have to be, you know, better than the men to get just as far as they get. Um mm-hmm. example, there is this guy, I won't say his name, um, but he opens for a somewhat famous comedian. And this mm-hmm. guy sucks. I mean, he's kind of funny, but his jokes are about buttholes. And I'm like, for you know, for goodness sake, like there are, are so many much better comedians, classier, smarter jokes. Why aren't they opening for this famous guy? Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're buddies, because they're drinking buddies, because that opener helps him get girls and and he's a good wingman. Mm-hmm. So for me to break through that kind of boys' club of drinking buddies i have to be so good that it outweighs the drinking buddy thing Mm -hmm. it has to it has to be like that much further because somehow the drinking buddy thing is worth 30 percent. so you have to be so good that you're undeniably amazing at what you do and and so good also that you're better than the men to the point where they will respect you uh, I know a lot of other female comics who have had to battle a lot more disrespect than I have, um, mm-hmm. and and I don't want to make I don't want to seem like that person. Like oh, I'm so amazing and everybody else sucks, but mm-hmm. um, you know, there is a level of funny where if you're funnier than the guys, they'll treat you like another guy. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's like you know, dogs with, uh, alpha,
2: the mm-hmm. alpha dog mm-hmm.
0: establishing dominance mm-hmm. uh, by being funnier than them or by roasting them, I have established dominance. So I get less harassment. Mm-hmm. Um, in comparison to some of the stories I've heard, you know, I've, it, it's been a lot easier of a journey for me in terms of my interactions with male comics than it has for a lot of other women who, um, are either you know not as far along in their comedy career, or maybe like have a different style that might not be quite as aggressive. I have
2: mm-hmm, seen mm-hmm. more
0: aggressive comedy style. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, be a boss-ass bitch. You have to be really amazing at what you do to hang in there in a boys' club. Um, the second thing is to have a thick skin. Um, boys, men—they're they are playful. Mm-hmm.
2: It,
0: <laughs> I used to live in this house and they had a German shepherd and I would try to jump rope in the driveway and the German shepherd would come over and try to put its teeth on my arms. Mm-hmm. He wasn't trying to bite me. That's mm-hmm. just how we played. Mm-hmm. And a lot of men play like that. That's just, you know, they tease each other. They joke around. They're mean, but that's how they show affection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. what I've learned. It's kind of like observing. Um, even my cats do that where they're like wrestling and playing and there's a lot of verbal jousting and and you know, men tease a lot. So I had to learn to have a thick skin and to be a ballbuster right back. And that's big in in hanging in there in the boys' club is is being able to dish it. You know, not just like right. you know, because if we get offended or like hurt and sad, then we're not fun anymore. And I hate that because sometimes we do want to get hurt and offended because somebody says something hurtful, but, um, it's like they smell weakness, you know,
2: <laughs> sure,
0: so sure. You, you can't, you have to have that thick skin or, or develop it over time. And, and to do that, it, it, I, I know that to me, it helps just knowing my own confidence and my own self-worth. Like I'm a badass bitch. doesn't matter what they say. Sorry to cuss. I don't give a fuck and I don't give any fucks. Uh-huh. I what anyone else says because I know my power, I know my talent, I know mm-hmm. my power. so yeah, they can go ahead and make any jokes they want to. It doesn't affect me and it doesn't affect my worth because I already know what that is, right? Um, and the third thing is relationship management. Oh my goodness, it's really eh. oh my gosh, so much relationship management, um, being able to balance awareness of what people want from me. You know, sometimes I can tell, okay, this guy likes me. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't like him back. But obviously if I tell that person, Hey, not in your life, go away. Mm -hmm. They're not going to put me on their show. So I have to be very diplomatic in everything that I say. And, um, it's, it's tough. And like, sometimes it feels almost manipulative to not, completely shut someone down because I know that they could give me stage time later. If I reject him, he's going to be butthurt and he's never going to book me. So let me just like be nice, be nice. Oh, I can't hang out because I'm busy. When are you going to book me? It's, Oh, it's a pain in the butt, but it takes that. It takes that relationship management. It takes establishing allies Uh, in the boys club, people who believe in me, who are on Mm -hmm. my side, who are Mm going to help me when it comes to the guys who are not on my side.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Those have been like as as much as um, I think we as women as feminists sometimes we complain about men. Um, men are, are, are <laughs> men are also our biggest champions and allies when we find the ones who who want to be and and who will be our advocates. And so um, I can't under under I can't overstate that enough that sure. I know where I am in comedy without um my mentors, most of which have been men, good mm-hmm. men, who mm-hmm. are kind and respectful and not creepy <laughs> and right. they give me a chance and um you know take me to gigs and be you know more like brothers or more paternal and um show me that men can be trusted to to not be weird and creepy. Um so so manage those relationships, whether that's you know being diplomatic and and being aware of what people want, or um, nurturing mentorships and friendships with healthy people who will help when when you need them to. Um, mm-hmm. I like the topic of relationship management—it sounds so disingenuous and so manipulative, but I promise it's not. It's just about being aware and knowing how to communicate well uh, for the best outcomes. Uh, but. But being genuine too, you know, definitely be genuine. Just um, think about how how we say things. Sure, those sure. Those are the Three three keys to success: relationship management, having a thick skin, and being a boss bitch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We certainly certainly uh, appreciate all of the wisdom and appreciate the uh, the time that you have shared with us because you know. In summary, what you've indicated is strong people stand up for themselves.
0: Absolutely, yes.
1: But but stronger people stand up for others, and as you talked about, some of the peers that have mentored you being men willing to you know stand their ground to ensure that you have a far a fair shake, you know, in opportunity and respect, and uh, you know all the other things that go along in the comedian. Uh, ecosystem, you know those things are they're they're priceless. You know, like you said, you know, having those allies and having those uh, folks that are they're willing to go to bat for you and engage with you in the battle. You know, mm-hmm. I think all of those things are are extremely important. And so, you know, I've always wanted to ask a comedian when they do a skit, and sometimes that skit could be something that they've recently come up with or something that they've been doing all of their lives what is the character that you portray that really resonates closely aligned to who you are as an individual in your comedy act Hmm. well
0: a lot of my stand up it depends on what we're asking about you know with my stand up I am myself in the whole thing I I Mm -hmm. credit that as close to Really, who I am as possible, and uh, I consider my stand up monologizing. So, Uh what that means is it's from a place of truth and opinion rather than character stand up, wherein I might, you know, be pretending to be somebody who says outrageous things, but that's not really me. Uh So, I'm a monologist. Uh So, when you watch my stand up, that is mostly me. I will sometimes fudge a fact or two to make it a little funnier, but. Uh mainly based in truth like 95 percent um you know if i if i'm telling a story and i want it to be funnier i might roast a character and make them weird looking or something just to have a joke in there but um for the most part it'll be true and then with my instagram that's where i do a lot more of my of my characters and you know my mom character really does resonate with me a lot because Mm -hmm my mom's voice is in my head and it always will be Even mm-hmm. if healthy
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: uh, and she's you know she's from another generation a uh, very kind of traditional old-fashioned generation when are you gonna get married when are you gonna have kids I want grandkids hey no one wants to marry a girl who is going out at night to do stand-up meets kids. <laughs> Right. They They don't want you out of bars. Right. My mom's voice—it's always in my head. So when I do that character, I'm basically writing, "What would my mom say about this?" I mean, that's my mom character,
1: right? Right. Right. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, it's—you know—it's always uh, very refreshing to to hear when you know a, a comedian comes across in a way that they're really sharing their, their authentic self. You know, I mean, it's, it's them that they're portraying, you know, because in a lot of cases, you know, we've seen comedy transform so much over the years and uh, you know, it's, it's time that we continue to try to focus on some of the real real core values and core things that require Kind of that awareness, you know, and I and I think you do a, you know, an outstanding job of, of being able to to portray that uh, through the characters and, you know, you being who you are as an individual. And so we're uh, we're close to wrapping up here. And, uh, you know, one of the quotes that I had, which you've you've kind of already touched upon, that basically says that a woman knows her worth doesn't measure herself against others, but stands strong, calm and self-confident, knowing her worth. And so, Kat, this has been an phenomenal discussion with you. I mean, you know, we've we've woven in some uh, some early stage uh relationship experiences <laughs> into this dialogue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and also we've talked about, you know, the aspect of, uh, of what comedy, you know, means to you and, and obviously the fact of standing up for the girls that are out there and the fact that we do want to see more women in stand up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, any final remarks or thoughts that you'd like to leave with our, with our listeners?
0: Um, you know, number one, you know your worth, like you said. Know your worth and, and mm-hmm. don't give a rat's butt about what anyone says because you're never going to be able to get everybody to love you. So you have to love you first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's big. And that's big in, in surviving. And honestly, any workplace environment, any endeavor, because you're always going to come up on people who are going to try to bring you down. So that they can you know get a leg up in whatever situation. So you just can't let that get to you. You gotta know it, it's gotta be internal. Um, and then the other thing, just about, about stand-up. If you do want other female comics to be successful, you wanna see more women on Netflix doing their stand-up specials, uh, support live comedy, get out there as soon as uh as soon as the pandemic ends. But even now sure. you can still watch stand-up comedy on Zoom. And mm-hmm. I guys who follow me on my social media um at the cat alvarado Mm -hmm. Uh, c-a-t-a-l-v-a-r-a-d-o instagram i post my zoom comedy shows to my stories all the time and uh, i encourage you to support support live comedy support female comedians because you know the the more we have these audiences showing that we're wanting this Content, the more that content will be made. I mean, these studios really do decide how, like, who they want to give and a special to, honestly, based off of the social media account.
2: So,
0: mm-hmm. if you want to see more female comics on Netflix, follow your favorite female comedians on Twitter. Follow, I'm saying, follow me on Twitter.
2: Sure,
0: sure. <laughs> follow me sure. on Instagram, follow me on YouTube, everywhere. Uh, it's it's all about those numbers. I wish it wasn't because there are mm-hmm. so many very funny women um who might never be on there because there just isn't that that numeric support. Um it's not even about it's not about talent anymore. It's about numbers. I see people getting stand-up specials who just blow up on TikTok and I'm like, You're not a stand-up me.
2: Right. <laughs> What's right.
0: My and yeah. so um yeah, if you want to see more female comics out there support them that's that's the other takeaway i guess and check out my podcast it's villains of history if you like history stuff um it's it's pretty fun
1: yeah cool 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 certainly thank you for uh for sharing all of the uh, ways people can connect and uh check you out and certainly uh, hopefully uh through our Cut to the Chase uh, fellowship, and listeners that uh, for those of us that enjoy a good laugh, um, we'll, we'll continue to, uh, to move forward in supporting uh, female stand-up comedians. And so, Kat, this has been a joy. Uh, again, we were delighted to have you on board the program. And for all of our listeners, as I've always said before, please maintain compassion and unity and togetherness you know, let's emphasize empathy towards one another. And certainly let's try to make this world a much better place. So I'm your host, Gregory Proctor. This has been episode 103, entitled Stand Up for the Girls Club. Thank you very much, Kat. Delighted to have you. And for everyone out there, take care and bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Cut to the Chase. Stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Cut to the Chase. You'll also find even more great content on our website at www.k2tcpodcast.com. Thank you and catch you on the next episode.